Oh, church, it's good to be back with you, man. It's good to be back with you. I miss you guys. I wasn't here last week. If it's, if it's your first time, man, my name is Pastor Mark. We're honored to have you here. My, my heart is that you would come back. Really, my heart is you'd find a home here. And uh, I, I think a lot of times, man, we come to church uh, with this mindset, I'm, I'm going to come, sit down, listen to the message, I'm going to worship, and, and I'm going to get my filling, and then I'm going to leave. And, and really, my heart for you is, if I could be so bold to challenge you, is I want you to be a part of what you're doing, uh, of what we're doing. I want you to get involved, and, and really, I want you to become part of the family uh, that we have here. So like Josh said, man, if it is your first time, don't be scared. I'm not going to show up on your doorstep or anything like that, but fill out that Connect card. Uh, you probably will get a call from me. I, wanna, I just want to talk to you, see if there's anything I can pray with you about. Uh, and see what you thought about the church as well, because I'm nosy like that. Um, man, I, I, I am excited. Uh, so normally what we try to do with our Republic campus, you know, we're, we're one church, two locations. We try to stay in symmetry. But so normally whatever series Pastor Chad's doing in Republic, we'll also do here in Marshfield. But for the month of July, he said, Pastor Mark, he's like, I want you to choose a series and it can be anything you want. I said, oh, come on, pastor, you, that's what I'm talking about. So I think they're doing a, um, a series on praise in Republic, but I, I, I wanted to stretch myself as your leader and as your pastor, and I, I wanted to um, run with this series called Asking for a Friend, Asking for a Friend. Now, I will admit, um, while I was praying and trying to discern what should we do, what would be good, I did see that another church was doing Asking for a Friend. Now, I'm not interested in stealing content. But I thought, I have no idea what their messages were on. I don't know what they preached about. Honestly, I just saw the graphic and was like, man, that would be an incredible idea. Because here's the deal. I think a lot of times we grow up in church, and there's things that we do. There's traditions that we follow. And, and, and we understand that they're done in church, but we don't know why. Right? We, do, we just kind of grow up. and Well, that's just the way it is. Like Simple things like, why do we take communion? Why, why do we get baptized? Why do, the, you know, the famous one, why do bad things happen to good people? And I want to address some of these tough questions, and my heart behind the series is that we would leave this place with our faith increased, and why we believe what we believe, and why we believe in the God that we believe in. So this, uh, this morning, man, I, I want to address one of this questions, and so, hence the series, Asking for a Friend, let's, let's talk about some of those questions maybe we, we wouldn't ask as, as a believer because we're expected to know them, and because we don't know them, we're not going to ask. So, I, I want to take the liberty as your pastor to ask some of these questions for you and address some of this, so a, as we begin our series, here's the first week, y'all ready for the first week? Come on, it's going to be good. Man, I, I'm believing for great things. The first one is, why do we trust the Bible? Like, where did, where did it come from? Why do we believe in it? Why do we accept it as God's word? This is going to be good. Y'all ready? Come on, let's pray. Jesus, um, Father, I pray right now your Holy Spirit would be present, Lord, in, in my heart behind this whole series, but even each message individually is that we'd walk out of here with our faith increased in your goodness, in your provision, um, really in who you are, Lord, in, in your word. So I pray that as I speak this morning that you give me clarity of mind, clarity of thought, and you would do what only you can do in this place, Lord. Uh, reveal your truth to us in, in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, did uh, everybody have a great 4th of July? It's a, it's a pretty awesome holiday, right? I, I have a good time every year. I think for a lot of us, this is a special day. 
uh, Joni Day specifically. I know Fourth of July is important to you, right? You and Jeremy got engaged, and we all have our, you know, maybe it was the day you had your first kiss, or, you know, it was like, you know, this magical night that you had. We all have these memories that are tied to the Fourth, some good and some bad, and, un- and unfortunately for me, I have some memories tied to the Fourth of July, okay? Uh, one specifically that I'd like to forget about, but I'm going to share it with you guys. Me and Abigail, it's a, I think it's about three or four years ago, Abigail and I were dating at the time, and we go to her parents, and every year her parents have this big 4th of July party, okay? So, it, like, it's not uncommon for about 100 people to be at this 4th of July party. So we're uh, just kind of hanging out, everyone's having a good time, and then, and then we get to the fireworks part of the night. And, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a son-in-law at this time, so I want to make a good impression, I want to be involved, I want to be helpful, I want to I do all those things. And we know there's that natural progression when it comes to fireworks. You start with the sparklers, and then you go to about the five-foot fountains and the tanks that spin around or shoot up in the air, and then we make our way to the big fireworks, right, that shoot up into the sky. It's this, it's this natural progression that happens with the fireworks. So um, me and... and uh, my brother-in-law, Mike, who he was married into the family at the, at the time, we go off into the distance and decide, you know what? We will handle the big fireworks. We'll shoot them off. Y'all stay here and enjoy. We'll walk about, you know, 30 yards out and we'll set these things off. So me and Mike are out there and we start kind of like uh, trying to figure out, okay, how do we light these things off? We're here now. Now what do we do? And Kind of the way the fireworks are designed is, is there's one wick that's attaching like three balls together, okay? And then there's a tube. Now, you would assume that the tube is for the fireworks. But me and Mike get into this small debate of whether or not the tube is essential or even necessary. And, you know, it, it would have been easy. It would have been easy for us. <laughs> yes, yeah, not not good. So... So we get into this debate, and, and what we could have done is just read the instructions, right? We could have just read what we were supposed to do, but instead, you know, a couple nights before, me and some of my friends had lit off the, the big fireworks that shoot up into the sky, and I could have swore we didn't use the tube. <laughs> I'm like, Mike, I, I don't think this tube is essential. He's like, all right, all right, that's fine. I go, okay, thank you. So I light, <laughs> so we're, we're on this, you know, this piece of plywood out in the grass, and I light, <laughs> I light the, the end of the wick, and, and Mike starts running, and all of a sudden, it, you know, like clarity, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or my common sense or what, it all rushes back into my head, and I'm like, oh no, oh no, the tube was here for a reason. But it's too late. This thing's, this thing's lit. What am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? So I just, Mike starts running. I just start running. And I just start praying, Lord, keep everybody safe. You know, I'm trying to marry this girl. You know what I'm saying? So, so, I, so I go, I run off, and all of a sudden, where does it shoot to? Like, and you got to remember, these fireworks are the massive fireworks that are supposed to be shooting off in the sky that aren't close to anybody. This thing lights right in front of the group of 100 people, <laughs> right in front of them. And it just goes, explodes. And everybody's like, ah! you know, like starts screaming, freaking out. But here's the problem. There's two more coming. 
right? So I'm just behind this tree like, oh, Lord, come on. The hysteria grows. People are running around. Kids, they're, they're grabbing their children. I think I saw limbs flying through the air. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not even sure. For real. And, and I'm just looking. There's this huge cloud of smoke. Everybody's screaming. I'm just like, you know, oh, this is terrible. Third one shoots off, explodes in front of them. I'm like, come on. Come on. I'm like looking over. All the, you know, the dust has settled. There's this massive cloud. I'm Behind this tree, just like, glad I wasn't over there, you know. (laughs) And all of a sudden, from the other side of the cloud, I hear this little voice, Mark? Mark? I'm like, are you really going to call out and, like, expose my location to everybody right now? It's obviously Abigail. I'm like, can you just leave me alone? I was kind of hoping they were all dead so I didn't have to deal with it, but... Nonetheless, uh, <laughs> I ended up kind of marry her, but this is a true story. Her father-in-law, or my father-in-law, he's missing a chunk of hair, man. <laughs> oh, her sister's lips swollen. It got drilled. With, it was bad. Like, it was bad. So this year, they didn't let me do fireworks, and uh, every year since, they haven't. So how does this story relate? Pastor, that's a phenomenal story. But you just told me the, the message is going to be on trusting the Bible. So, so I, I'll show you the correlation here, but first I want to look at 2 Timothy 3.16 uh, from the Amplified Version. It says this. It says this. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's given by divine inspiration, and it, it is profitable instruction. It is profitable instruction for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to obedience. For training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably and with personal integrity and moral courage. There's this massive list of what the scriptures are good for. But first of all, it mentions that they're God-breathed, right? The scriptures are God-breathed. It's profitable for instruction. So me and Mike, you know, we, we set off this, these fireworks, and we just kind of show up with the tube and, and, and with the things, the, the wick, and we're, we'll just figure it out. It'll be fine. But it's not long before, because we weren't willing to dive into the instructions, because we weren't willing to observe the destructions, our behavior actually became destructive. And how many of us, we approach our spiritual lives in the same way? Where we go, you know what, I'm not really a big Bible reader. It's not really for me. Uh, I'll just kind of figure it out. I'll be good. I, I can handle it. I can handle it. I, I'll, I'll, I'll be a good person. And, I, and, and mark my word, church, it won't be long. It won't be long until our behavior can become destructive. God's word is profitable for instruction, for conviction, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Bible is our greatest tool as believers. And here's the deal. I don't think I'm telling y'all anything you don't already know. I don't think anyone's sitting here having a revelation like, wow, you're right. (laughs) I, I, I think we know and we agree, but here it is. If someone was to ask us, but why? Why do you believe in the Bible? I think some of us might be like, uh, because I'm supposed to, because I was, I was taught to, because people wrote it. I, I don't know. 
Now, here's the deal. If you have no idea why we have the Bible, how it came to being, why we read the Bible, why we trust the Bible, that is okay, but you've still believed it to be true. Mark my words, church, that hasn't been done in vain because it is true. It is the word of God. But my my heart for this morning is I want you to walk out of here with your faith increased in why we believe the Bible. Because yes, there's that supernatural, kind of that spiritual side, it's God-breathed, okay, that can seem a little mystical to us. But but honestly, truthfully, and we're going to go through some of this, there are practical reasons why we can believe the Bible is God's word. So let's jump into it. Number one, let's, let's go through some of the Bible basics here. I, I'm excited. And y'all, I'm telling you, this is stretching me as your pastor because I can preach all day. Give me a couple verses, I can preach. But when it comes to teaching, I'm like, oh, okay, this is a little out of my comfort zone. And this is honestly hours of studying because I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to steward this moment well. So have some grace with me as we go on this journey, but I'm believing this is going to be a, a powerful morning. So, so Bible basics. First question, who wrote the Bible? Let's talk about that. We know of 31 confirmed authors um, related to the scriptures, and there's as many as 40 involved. And the thing that's interesting is there's much diversity in these authors. Um, you know, they all kind of come from, some of them come from different cultures and different times and but they were all prompted by the same holy spirit right so we see some of these authors were complete strangers they're from different walks of life they lived in different cultures um but really the common denominator between all of them is they were all inspired by the same holy spirit they were all led by the holy spirit and we can see that and what makes the 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 scriptures are so um the harmonization of the scriptures is that much more miraculous, right? Because there's so many different authors. But I get that knowing that multiple people wrote the Bible, does that mean that the Bible was written by God or was it written by man? So here's what we believe as Christians, in case y'all didn't know. We believe as Christians that through his Holy Spirit, God inspired and guided the hands of the humans in their authorship of the scripture. Okay, and I, I want to break this down. So once again, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this. All scripture is God-breathed. So yes, it was human hands that wrote it. But it was breathed out by God. They were led and inspired by God's Holy Spirit. And, and remember, we see this through the harmony that takes place throughout the entire book. But it says all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And then I want to share another passage with you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, it says this. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation of things. So what this is saying is the authors, the people who wrote the Bible, it's referring to them as prophets because they're sharing God's word. It's saying all the scriptures that were written out by these prophets, it didn't come into, it's not their own interpretation of things. Let's go on to read this verse. It says, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though they're human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, okay? So it it is humans, 
but God was accomplishing his will through his people, very much so like he does with us today. To put it simply, this this verse is stating that God was accomplishing his prophetic will through humans. And nothing canonized as scripture is the author's own will, but it's the word of God. So how did we decide on just the 66 books that we have in the Bible? Okay, maybe you've heard that there's, you know, other literature from that time period. Other people wrote it. There's even other religions who accept other pieces of scripture. You may know in the Catholic religion that they added the Apocrypha. They use different books. I, I think like the book of Moses is, is one of those books or, or, or something like that. So why do some, why do some use these? Why do, why do some use these? What is that? Why, why do we... Have de- why have we decided on these 66 books? So the word used to describe the books that belong in Scripture is this word canon. It's the word canon. And that word canon in Greek, it, 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 it describes st- uh, like a straight bar that a carpenter would use for measurement. And, and basically, he would use that bar to check if something was straight and true. So that's kind of where that word comes from, the canon of Scripture. Um, so, and the, the truth is that there are other books that claim to be just as legitimate, just as tr- trustworthy, written in similar time periods, written by different authors, um, but some of those aren't accepted. Why? Because they don't meet, meet that standard. They don't meet the expectation of all these 66 books that were canonized. They didn't reach the expectation. They, they didn't meet the standard. So I want to talk a little bit about the Old Testament first, and then we'll talk about how the New Testament came into being. The Old Testament, it's full of prophets' writings that describe their encounters with God and wisdom they received through God's Holy Spirit. And in the first century, like a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, he would have his library of scrolls, right? So they were all written individually. The Bible's not bound together at this time. So he'd have all his scrolls. Maybe he has all the scrolls that belong in the Old Testament. Or maybe he just has, he, maybe he has almost all of them. But he would use those to share. Um, he would have this library of, of holy books, not, uh, order, not in any particular order. It wouldn't be until later that the books were bound together and they come up with an order. But by the time Jesus was born, um, the Old Testaments had basically been broken up into three basic sections. There were uh, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And there was a question about which books were authentic. But after the canonization of the scriptures, the books hardly vary from the ones we have now. And of the 39 Old Testament books, most are directly referred to as scripture by the New Testament author. So what that means is we, we see the, the, the New Testament make mention back to these Old Testament books, 39 of them specifically. People who walked with Jesus. Even Jesus himself refers back to some of these Old Testament books as scripture. So what was the standard of the Old Testament? What was the standard of the Old Testament books to be considered a part? a part of the canon, and the truth is there was multiple things, multiple expectations that these books had to reach, but just for example, one of those things was prophetic authorship. For a book to be considered canonical, it must have been written by a prophet, or for the New Testament, by an an apostle, or one who had a special relationship to one. Like Mark had a special relationship to Peter, or, or Luke had a special relationship to Paul, so they were able to check base. So let's talk about the New Testament. 
New Testament, the, the gospel, the story of Jesus started by being shared orally. Okay, people walked and they talked with Jesus. And all of a sudden they start sharing the gospel. They start sharing the good news. So critics hear this and they say, oh, okay, so the story of Jesus has just been passed orally. So if it's just been passed orally, then there's probably lots of errors. Then it's probably changed a lot over time. But I'd like to argue with you that that's not necessarily true, and, and I have three reasons why. One, experts in oral tradition have discovered that many lengthy oral epics from Asia and Africa have remained static over time. Okay, so these lengthy oral epics, even though they were passed on orally, they've remained static. They've re they remain true, so... That can't be true. Number two, being shared in an orally dominant time, the Gospels still have great consistency in message and content. And three, church, it would just be wrong for us to assume that the apostles, the disciples, those sharing the story of Jesus, wouldn't be concerned about the details of the story. Let, let's remember these men are putting their lives on the line. Right, they're, they're, the whole, they're, they're passionate about sharing the truth of God's word. So much so, they're writing letters to other churches trying to correct when they're wrong, right? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, it says this. I think this is good. It says, For we did not cleverly devise stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. We didn't cleverly put them together. We didn't just... Try and make it up and make it sound cool and make it sound good. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it. We were with him. We saw the miracles. We walked with him and we talked with him and, and we saw him interact with others. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my son who I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountaintop with him as, as Christ was transfixed. They, they saw as this cloud of smoke came around Christ, they heard this voice speak to Jesus. This is my son. This is the son of God. They witnessed this. They saw it, and they write to tell about it. And here's the reality. The apostles weren't risking their lives to pass on fables and myths. Much like the Old Testament, New Testament scripture was recognized as authoritative before a canon was compiled, before the book was bound together. In the third century, the 27 books of the New Testament were agreed upon. So there's a short blurb. So, so there's kind of a short blurb on how we got 66, the 66 books. Y'all good? Anyone learning anything? Come on. So number two, let's move on. So there's some of the Bible basics. Two, let's address some of the common critiques about the scripture. Some of the common critiques. It's important to understand, we as the Christian church, we believe the Bible to be the inspired and inerrant word of God. We believe it to be God-breathed. We know that human hands wrote it, but we believe they were led by the Holy Spirit. And when they wrote that, it was without error. Now, critics will make this, the comment that, okay, but it's been copied so much, passed down so much. Through that process of copying, there's had to have been errors made. 
And church, there's some truth in that. We as Christians, we, we believe the original, the autographs, as you would say, that were originally written by, by those who authored the scriptures, those were 100% textually pure, but through the copying process, there have been slight errors made. So hang here with me for a second. We, we can't say that the copies we have today are 100% textually pure. So does that mean we can trust what they say? Or does that mean we can't trust what they say? Absolutely not. Here's why. The copies we have are so accurate that all of the biblical documents are 98.5% textually pure. The 1.5 that is in question is mainly nothing more than spelling errors, the occasional word on missions like the word the, but, etc. So this reduces any serious textual issues to a fraction of the 1.5%. Nevertheless, nothing affects doctrinal truth. In fact, nothing in ancient history, not in all of ancient history, all of ancient literature comes close to the accuracy of the New Testament document. If the New Testament is disallowed, then all other documents of ancient history have to be disallowed. Plato, Aristotle, Homer. Those must be disallowed too because the biblical documents are far superior in their copying accuracy than any other ancient literature in existence. So just to kind of give you an idea, I wanted to highlight some of these errors, what they might look like, just so we're not confused. I don't want anyone walking out of here discouraged. Remember, my goal was to have your faith increase. So ditography writing twice what should have been written once. So maybe someone put, instead of writing, just an example, I'm not saying this is in the scriptures, but instead of writing later, ladder was wrote, two Ts. There's this idea of fission that's, pro that's probably occurred, and that's improperly dividing one word into two words, like turning nowhere into now here. Fusion, combining the last letter of one word with the first letter of the next word. What would that look like? Uh, look, it is there in the cabinet. Or look, it is there in the cabinet. Haplography. Lord, help me pronounce some of these things. Writing, <laughs> appreciate that, come on. Writing once, what should have been written twice. Kind of that same idea with later and latter. Homophony. Writing a word with a different meaning for another word when both words have the same exact pronunciation. For example, me. E-A-T, or meet, M-E-E-T, right? So maybe that's some of the um, errors that have been made. And then there's metathesis, an improper exchange in the order of letters. So writing mast instead of mats, or cast and cats. So compared to other ancient documents, the New Testament, for example, has far more textual evidence in its favor than any other ancient writing. I want to pull up this graph here, Carm, if you could... Put that. I, I want to run through this a little bit. Don't want to take a whole lot of time on it, but just show you guys. So here we see who the author was and, and, and the things that they wrote, right? So here's the dates of their writings. On this side, you can see the dates of their writings. So this is when the original document was written, and this is as soon as the first copy was made. This is the, this is the time between the autograph, the original, and the first copy being made, and then we have the amount of copies made, okay? So, so looking at this, we have Caesar. It was 100 through 44 BC. His, his autographs were written. It, the earliest copy was 900 AD. 
So we see that there's a time span of a thousand years before copies were made of that content. Ten were produced. It goes on, Plato, the earliest copy was in 900 AD. So from the original to the copies, there was 1,200 years. So we, we get the gist here. You go down to the New Testament, and you know it was written from 400 to, a thou- to 100 AD. The earliest copy was 125 AD. So we're looking at hundreds, at, at points, 1,000 years less time from, from the original documents being written to them being copied was 25 to 50 years. Also notice how many more copies were made. This is a strong argument for the accuracy of the scriptures that we have. Now a lot of people have no problem accepting these are true. They have no problem accepting these are accurate. But when it comes to this, people want to doubt. But when you look at the facts, it's hard to argue with. All this to display that we can see that the Bible is an ancient document that has withstood thousands of years of transmission with remarkable accuracy and clarity. And we can trust it to be what it says it is. It's God's word. I also want to make mention of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So in 1947, uh, some documents were discovered in Judean cave that were written in Aramaic and Hebrew. Um, So they discovered in 11 caves these books, and, and they found copies or fragments of every Old Testament book except Esther, I believe. They even found whole books, and, and, and they found Isaiah and Deuteronomy and Psalms written in these caves. And, and it's interesting that they found Isaiah. The reason it's so important they found Isaiah is because the, the copy they found of Isaiah was a thousand years uh, it was written a thousand years earlier than the latest copy that we had had. So when they put the, that, the copy they already had, the one a thousand years older together, they were able to see how accurate the book was. The lack of changes between the books, between a thousand years. When others suggest the Bible is full of contradictions, really it's uh, what they're doing is either failing to understand what the content of the passage is saying, uh, or, or they're examining, and, and, um, or they're encountering a scribal error. In full, through study and proper observation, one would realize that the Bible is harmonious throughout. So I want to go ahead and call the piano back up here. I want to share kind of my last, um, my last point, and I think this is one of the strongest points here for why we can believe that the Bible is true. Um, number three is, is because the fulfilled prophecies within Scripture. You know, because human hands have been involved in the creating of the Scriptures, it's people can argue, well, humanity's played a part, so can the Scriptures really be inspired? Like, come on, Pastor Mark. Humans have been involved. There's, there's got to be error. But as believers, one of, the, one of the best ways that we can see it really is inspired by the Holy Spirit is through the fulfillment of prophecy. There are many religious texts that have good things to say, right? But the Bible is the only one that 
that's fulfilled prophecy. It's the only one that's fulfilled prophecy. And as Christians, you know, ultimately we believe that Jesus was the son of God. He, he conquered sin and death through the death and resurrection. And that's in essence who and what we put our faith in, right? As believers, that's what we believe. So when we observe the life of Jesus, you have to remember all the prophecies that have been made about the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come. All these prophecies. We, we can look to the New Testament and, and we can see Jesus fulfill so much, really all of these prophecies. Like he was born of a virgin. He'd be the Son of God. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be a prophet, a king, a priest a messenger who preceded him, talking about John the Baptist, all these things were prophesied. His side would be pierced. All these things were prophesied. So a guy named Peter Stoner, um, he used, he wanted to use probability, the science of probability, to rule out that it was coincidence that Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies. So he said, so he looked at 48 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And he said, we find the chance that any one man fulfilled all 48 prophecies to be one in 10 to the 157th. This is the number. For one man to fulfill all 48 of those prophecies, it's almost double the amount of electrons in the universe. I think it should be quite evident that Jesus didn't fulfill these prophecies by accident, church. I think that he might be the son of God. I think he might be who he said he was. So I don't have time to run through all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, but there's one particular that stood out to me. And I wanted to read it to you guys. Karma is not on the slides. I just want you guys to run through it with me. It's, it's a little lengthy. It's Psalm 22, verses 1 through 24. And it says this. This is David writing it. It's prophetic writing. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day. But you do not answer. By night I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. If in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by everyone, despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. 
roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is, is dried up like pot sheared. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. And they pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. What is this a prophecy of? What is this talking about? It's obvious it's talking about the cross. It's obvious this is a, this is a picture of Jesus in his last moments, the, the crucifixion right? Now David's writing this, but, but here's the deal. This prophecy was written a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. This was written a thousand years, and if that's not enough, when this was written, the crucifixion wasn't even an, an invented torture process yet. 